A reading from Matthew chapter 5. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Jesus has come. He has come as a king. He has come to proclaim and to usher in a kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, the reign of God. Blessed are the spiritually poor, for Jesus has come to be their king. You and I no longer live in the age of kings. Through most of human history, in most places, and in most societies, they have had kings. But not us. We got rid of our king some time back. I think his name was George. And whether we were right or wrong in rebelling against England at that time, most people, I think, would agree that we are better off without kings. They had, after all, a nasty habit of always looking out for their own interests above all, amassing power, wealth, wives, chopping off people's heads. So for us, kings are now but a faint and probably somewhat altered memory. They have become sometimes comic figures, as those drawn up by Monty Python or Mel Brooks, or there's the Burger King king, who is not so much funny as just creepy. <laughs> Still, the human story has a rightful place for kings. Kings were not meant to be oppressive. Kings were certainly not intended to be laughable. The ancient ideal was that a king would be a shepherd over the people. He would be a father for his people. He would defend his subjects from human enemies. He would shield his people from the threatening groanings and thrashings of nature. He would maintain his people in the favor of God. He would provide peace and prosperity. And he would uphold the cause of justice within the land. He would be strong and noble, regal, a human among humans, touching the divine. 
His coronation would be a cause of joy for his people, and they would pray fervently for his health and long life. Matthew begins his gospel by telling us that Jesus Christ is the descendant of David. David the king, he calls him. In chapter 2, he reports to us the arrival of magi from the east are coming to Jerusalem and asking, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? They follow the star and they worship the Christ child, presenting their royal tribute of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. In chapter 3, John the Baptist comes on to the scene, preaching in the wilderness, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In chapter 4, our Lord Jesus faces severe testing by Satan, that usurper and pretender, the ruler of this present age. The devil takes Jesus to a high mountain and shows him all the kingdoms of the world. All these I will give to you, Satan promises. But our Lord Jesus will not be crowned by that poser, the devil. No, he will receive his throne from God, his Father. The Father's path for Jesus, the path to his eternal reign, will lead him to Calvary's cross, there in shame and nakedness and in kingly love. Wearing a crown of thorns, he will pour out his royal blood underneath the wondrous sign which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. And not just of the Jews, Raised from the dead, the Father bestows upon Jesus all authority in heaven and on earth so that Jesus sends his apostles out to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and filling their ears with the sweet promises of his kingdom. In our text this morning, Jesus the King goes up on a mountain and his disciples come and gather around him the king with his people. Just before this, Jesus' reign had been revealed with some flair. He was going around healing people of every kind of ailment, casting out demons with authority. But now, beginning with our text, the ink in the Bible turns red, and Jesus begins to be revealed as the preacher king surrounded by people who are filled with needs, real needs, physical ailments, poverty and hunger, grief, injustice. Surrounded by people with all these needs, Jesus, the mighty king, bestows on them a sermon. The Sermon on the Mount. The Beatitudes. Words. What happened to all the healings? Why doesn't this king give his people something useful, something helpful? Maybe so much bread that they can't eat it all in one sitting. Or how about raising some loved ones from the dead? Or maybe he could sit down with them and work out and reconcile all of their disputes with fairness and equity. But no, not here anyway, just words. Brothers and sisters, what are you looking for from Jesus Christ? What do you want? What do you anticipate receiving from him? 
when you go to church, when you come into his presence. What's so great about Christianity? What is it that we can advertise to others? What is our claim to fame? Why should people rejoice that the kingdom of our Lord has dawned? What can we honestly say that he will give them? Or let's do it like this. It's time to change the church sign. And the message for the week is going to be, our church has the best blank. What are you going to put in that blank? Or what should we? Our church has the best quilting group. Our church has the best sausage suppers. Our church has the best lattes. Our church has the best music, the friendliest people, the deepest intimacy with God, the most powerful preaching, the most sincere pastor. How about this? Our church has the best promises. In our text this morning, Jesus the King gives kingly promises, royal pledges. Christianity has the best promises. Our church has the Lord's promises. They're just words, it's true, but they are our Lord's words. When Jesus comes to reign as king in the midst of his people, when he gives the gift of the kingdom, that gift comes above all with words, his words, promises. Why do you go to church? For Jesus' promises. How was church today? Well, Jesus was there. He made me some wonderful promises. Who preached in chapel today? Oh, I don't remember, but I heard Jesus' promises. Why do you read the Bible every day? Because Jesus, my King, is making me his promises. Just a bunch of promises? Yeah, a bunch of promises. But just listen to what this King is promising here in these Beatitudes. You have many tears, but I pledge you that the day is coming when I will comfort you and fill you with joy. You may be little regarded in this life and you may have little, but the day is coming when all of heaven and earth, the new creation will be my inheritance and I will share it all with you. Yes, there are many, many wrongs that plague this world, injustices which do not seem redressed in your own life, in the lives of those around you, but the day is coming when I will set all things right and you will be satisfied. The day is coming when I will welcome you to myself in mercy and your sins will not be remembered or mentioned. The day is coming when you will see my face and your eyes will look on the beauty and the splendor of your God. The day is coming when standing before the whole world, I will say to you, this is a son of God. Again this morning, here in this place, we hear in the scriptures the voice of Jesus, our King. Jesus comes near to us here as our King. He gathers us 
and he makes royal pledges to us. Christians, take heart and endure. The day is coming, and the age of darkness is almost past. Blessed are all those who long for that day. Amen.